Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. On September 10, the IAA Mobility, one of the world's largest mobility trade fairs, concluded in Munich. About 70 exhibitors were Chinese manufacturers of cars, batteries, and Chinese suppliers. Not only in the halls of trade fairs, but also on the streets of Europe, Chinese manufacturers show increased presence. Currently, 8% of electric vehicles in Europe are imported from China. This doesn't sound much, but the number increased from 6% in last year already. In reaction to this development, the European Commission announced on September 13 that it would launch an investigation into whether to impose punitive tariffs to protect EU producers against cheaper Chinese electric vehicle imports that it says are benefiting from state subsidies. How have Chinese electric vehicle manufacturers become so important? What are current trends in the Chinese EV industry? And what does this mean for European governments and manufacturers? My name is Johannes Seller-Jon, and to answer these questions, I'm joined today by Ilaria Masocco, Senior Fellow with the Trustee Chair in Chinese Business and Economics at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS, and Gregor Sebastian, Analyst at Merix. They are also the co-authors of a new report called Electric Shock, Interpreting China's Electric Vehicle Export Boom. Ilaria, Gregor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Johannes. Ilaria, I would put the first question to you. How has China become so important in the electric vehicle sector of the automotive industry so that it is now exporting cars on a global scale? Thank you, Johannes. Uh, I think that's a really important question. Today, many of us look at the electric vehicle industry in China and consider it one of the most salient uh, examples, one of the most successful examples of industrial policy in China in recent years. But if you go back about a decade, it did not look quite so clear that China was going to become uh, so dominant in this industry. So starting after 2009, 2010, the Chinese government introduced a series of policies to promote the industry, to try and create a market and support manufacturers. This coincided with a time in which manufacturers themselves were experimenting a lot and the technology was improving and consumers were becoming much more interested in electric vehicles. So this convergence uh, eventually led to the rise of the industry in China. Next to all the points that Laria raised, I think there's also a recognition around 2017, 2018 by the Chinese government that, you know, they had built some initial scale to the market, but to really get it going, they might also want to invite the incumbent electric vehicle leader of the time, which was Tesla. And I think bringing the foreign car manufacturer of the time, Tesla, into the market really helped to bolster competition in China. But also now when we're looking at the exports, Tesla is a key part of that story. So I think this was a critical decision to to really kickstart the industry at a time when, you know, there was initial growth, but um, we haven't seen these like massive year-on-year growth numbers that we're currently seeing. And if I can just add to that, I think uh, Gregor raises an interesting point where when we think about industrial policy and when we think about the EV industry in China, we tend to think about the subsidies or the government support. But really what, what's important and crucial is that today this is an incredibly competitive field. Uh, the Chinese consumer at this stage has incredible choice 
much more choice than any other consumer globally. There's a lot of brands, there's a lot of companies, and these companies are competing on prices and quality. Um, so it's uh, it's become a very this has become a very important feature of the market. If I may raise a follow up question. A lament of of German producers of electric vehicles is often that like uh, the the battery technology is just not far enough, and battery producers are far and few between in in Germany, and that is different in China from from what I know. Like the the world's largest battery producer, CATL, is a Chinese company. How does the battery industry and the EV industry in in China intersect? You raise a really important point that China is not only the leading market when it comes to electric vehicles, China is also really important, if not the most important player in the whole EV supply chain, right? So China has managed to, I would almost say, cultivate uh, a couple of really leading companies, CATL and BYD, but there's also a couple of uh, smaller ones that are giants in the in the global EV industry. But also if you look at um, you know, cathodes and, and annual production, if you look at um, lithium refining, it's all kind of led by Chinese companies uh, at this stage. And a lot of this, I would say, is is in large part due to China's industrial policy, but then also private companies, because the majority are, are private companies in this field, stepping in and seeing an opportunity where they're going to get government support. I think crucially here, though, in the battery field, we have to mention that China did also use some discriminatory policies to actually shield their domestic uh, companies against foreign competition. As mentioned in the introduction, Chinese manufacturers showed up in large numbers on this year's IAA Mobility Trade Fair in Munich. And going forward, I would like to know from you, where are Chinese manufacturers now and what are kind of the trend lines that we see leading into the future? Where where are they going next? Yes, that's a really good question. So a few years ago, I think there was a sense that Chinese manufacturers were really only producing low-cost, low-quality vehicles that wouldn't be suitable for the export market, certainly not in developed uh, economies. But I think that's been changing. Um, The types of vehicles that are being produced by Chinese manufacturers are becoming increasingly attractive and very price competitive. But for now, what we still see is that um, when it comes to Chinese brands, those are tend to be more popular in Southeast Asia or you know Latin America as opposed to Europe. So BYD is doing extremely well in Thailand, for example, which is one of the countries we look at in the report. When it comes to Europe, it's mostly brands that would not be immediately recognized as Chinese by a European consumer. So for example, MG or Volvo and uh, Polestar. These tend to be either brands that have been acquired by Chinese manufacturers, for example, in the case of Volvo or MG, or perhaps they are the result of a joint venture, uh, in the case of Polestar or even Smart, a smart car. So I I think we are still not quite seeing Chinese uh, brands uh, making a breakthrough in Europe, although this is probably going to be happening in your future yeah and to 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 add to that i mean um so right now chinese branded evs right like your byd like your neo they really only account for the minority of made in china evs that are being sold in europe so we have data for for germany in the report right in the first half of this year we 
only saw that uh, roughly 9% of made in China EVs that were exported and sold in Germany are actually Chinese brands. However, Johannes, as you mentioned, right, that the ERR, which is um, Germany's, if not Europe's biggest kind of um, automotive show, Chinese brands have, have really showed up in large numbers. And the key thing is that they actually have models that can be sold right now, while a lot of the European producers, right, they have debuted uh, models they know that they want to sell in 2025, 2026. So I think there is a certain sentiment among Chinese producers that there is an opportunity right now where European producers are still lagging behind. They don't have LFP batteries, which are kind of the latest tech that the Chinese uh, producers are employing. And the key question is going to be, are we going to see a, a massive increase, not only in Chinese-made vehicles, but also in, in Chinese-branded vehicles in Europe in the next few months? One thing that, that we really should highlight is that, for now, a very large chunk of exports from China are driven by Tesla, by one company, one Western company. Um, and so I think that's just important to keep in mind, because when we're talking about exports from China, many might assume that most of these are driven by Chinese brands, but actually at this point in time, it's still a Western brand that's really leading the pack. Very interesting. You mentioned in the report to case studies, and I think Ilaria, you already mentioned it also, that Europe is not the main focus of Chinese producers at the moment. Uh, you give the case studies of Thailand and Brazil, and I'd like you to go into a bit more detail. So is, is this a strategy of Chinese producers of the Chinese state to invest there? Um, what is going on uh, in these emerging markets? Yeah, um, so I think we, we picked these two case studies because we've seen um, some very interesting developments in, in both these markets in recent months when it comes to Chinese investment and also trade. So I think Thailand is a little bit more of a clear-cut case. We have um, the Thai government that's actually already, to a certain extent, a local automotive hub, right? Thailand already now is actually serving the uh, ASEAN market to a certain extent as an exporter. Often it's actually ch uh, Japanese um brands that have production facilities in Thailand, and then they're exporting to the region. And I think the Thai government is now recognizing that, you know, EVs could allow them to further bolster their position in this uh, kind of regional trading system. So what they're doing is that they are adopting both purchasing subsidies for electric vehicles, which Chinese exporters are taking advantage of, but they're also trying to encourage Chinese producers to set up shop and actually produce vehicles locally. And we see this happening. And I think in our report, we outline five or six of these plants that are currently being constructed. I think the first one is already coming online uh, at the end of the year. And this is really kind of a, a very close cooperation between, you know, Chinese producers in, in Thailand and um um, and the Thai government. I think the, the Brazil case is a little bit different because Brazil is actually a lot more hesitant when it comes to the EV transition. Brazil is, is kind of testing out other types of fuel uh, using methanol that might be a little bit more environmentally friendly than, than petrol, but are still obviously not clean energy per se. Um, however, we see a lot of courting between China and Brazil at the moment, right? There have been recent trade deals. President Lula was uh, in, in, in China recently on a visit. And as part of that visit, 
the, the Brazilian government also really tried to learn investment from Chinese companies, including BYD. And I think this is going to be a really interesting market to watch because also it's European and North American brands that currently dominate the local market. So if Chinese brands really get the upper hand here in the next coming years, that means that, you know, a company like Volkswagen is not only facing competition in China or in uh, their home market in Europe, but also in these third markets. One thing to note is that Brazil has proven to be a very difficult market to operate in for a lot of automakers. So um, BYD, for example, has taken over an old Ford factory. And uh, many are reading this as, uh, are interpreting this as meaning that, you know, the decline of American automakers and the rise of Chinese ones. And is that certainly true? Definitely, I mean, due to the importance of a company like BYD in the EV sector. But I think it should also be seen as a cautionary tale of Ford having so many challenges in that very factory and BYD now trying to not have the same issues, which I do think that BYD will probably have to navigate some choppy waters when it comes to Brazil. But in Thailand, certainly, I think we're seeing a very interesting trend where, um, you know, we're seeing an example of a country in the global south, which is replicating in some ways the policies that we've seen in Europe, uh, in uh, China, and even in the U.S., where you create a market, you at the same time also provide incentives for manufacturers, and you really leverage FDI. So that's a really interesting path that uh, we're seeing Thailand take, which I think is being also replicated in other Southeast Asian economies. You just mentioned this example of the Ford plant in in Brazil and that got uh, taken out by uh, BYD. And this leads me to a question that I wanted to ask the two of you. What implications does the rise of Chinese electric vehicle makers spell for US and European governments and manufacturers? But I would start now with the, the governments. Yeah, I think that's a really good question because it puts policymakers in a bit of a pickle. Right. On the one hand, you know, they want to pursue and promote this new industry, uh, especially because of, uh, you know, decarbonization goals. If you just think about transportation as the biggest source of emissions in the U.S., for example. Um, so it is really important to electrify the transportation sector. And it does certainly seem like the Chinese supply chains are going to be central to that. And certainly Chinese car makers seem to be uh, the ones producing those cheaper electric vehicles, which are going to be central to achieving this electrification, these electrification goals. On the other hand, though, you know, there there is a risk of outsourcing to China, which could create shocks in the labor market and uh, lead even to some deindustrialization uh, with big implications for politics in uh, especially in Europe, I would say. And then, you know, in addition to all that, this uh, the automotive sector is really important in a lot of developed countries. And so if you think about the implications um, for, you know, if, if these companies that which are the motor of many European countries, for example, and, and motor for exports, if these companies were to decline, it could have really negative consequences as well for the economy and again, politically as well. So I, I do think this creates a really tricky situation, which um, policymakers are going to have to navigate carefully. I would say the first impulse for some policymakers might be 
stop EVs, don't let's not subsidize those anymore. Let's stick to uh, internal combustion engine vehicles and or maybe let's introduce really high tariffs, the same, you know, which the US has at the moment, pretty high tariffs towards China to protect our market. That doesn't really solve the issue, at least not in the long term. In a way, the US is an example of a country that has resisted to a certain extent the EV um you know the EV revolution, let's put it this way. Uh, and until recently, and it really only created a situation where its uh, car makers are are lagging behind the Chinese automakers in this area. And tariffs also can be useful in the short term for car makers to sort of prepare and and have a more protective market, but it ultimately leads to less competitive products and less competitive automakers. So I think there's going to have to be a balancing act with uh, a lot of support for innovation and for these um, for car makers without uh, closing off the market completely in ways that would then insulate automakers and make it harder for them to, to produce more competitive vehicles and products in the future. Yeah, so just this week, Ursula von der Leyen announced that the commission is launching this um, investigation whether made in China EVs have benefited from subsidies. And this is really huge news, right? Because that could potentially lead to changes at how Chinese, but also China-based European or American uh, exporters are gonna view the European market. The interesting thing also in that announcement was that the commission really put the cart before the horse, so to say. They were already saying that, yes, we're announcing this investigation, but actually, Chinese EVs are distorting the market, right? And they are uh, too cheap and heavily subsidized. So that's already saying what is going to happen before it has happened. And after a probably month-long investigation, we could see that there are additional tariffs, maybe 20%. Um, we'll see what the investigation says. And that could ultimately mean that Europe becomes a less attractive market for for. China-based producers, uh, companies like Volkswagen that are currently considering to export from China might actually um, reject those plans. And then other producers like BYD, for instance, they might double down on their other markets like in Brazil or Thailand that we also report on. One important thing is probably going to be foreign direct investment and how to address uh, foreign direct investment from China. Right. So traditionally, um, European automakers and certainly American ones as well have been leading sources of foreign direct investment in China. And China worked hard to attract that that type of technology and investment. But I, I think now we're seeing much more of the discussion of should Chinese uh, battery makers, for example, in the U.S., this has become very politicized. Should those be invited? Certainly in Europe, we see a lot of them now building up factories in Europe. And the next the next question will be. For automakers, right? Will it be? Is it better if a Chinese automaker is producing a vehicle in Europe for the European market as opposed to exporting from China? I think so, but I think that's going to be a very political question that is going to be coming up in the next few years. Let us switch over from the implications for the governments to more specifically the implications for manufacturers. It really depends on the manufacturer in question, right? We have a lot of manufacturers that are actually part of this export trend. Foremost, this is Tesla, right? A American company that it's using its Shanghai Gigafactory as a massive export hub. But there's also European companies like Renault, BMW, Mercedes-Benz that are exporting from China. So they're actually benefiting from the cheap costs that the Chinese market and Chinese production hub offers to them. On the other hand, you have... Uh, 
companies like Stellantis that have retreated from the Chinese market because they say the political risks are too high. They are going to be lobbying very heavily in favor of defense measures on the European side, should they not be forthcoming, right? Or, you know, let's say that the investigation is actually uh, coming to the conclusion there are not massive subsidies, then they could suffer because they're not partaking in this very innovative Chinese market. On top of that, you have the kind of tier one suppliers that are really feeding into this EV manufacturing machine. And a lot of them are also increasing the localization for the Chinese market. So that means that companies like Bosch or Continental are investing even more in China to also benefit from this export push. So one thing to note is that international car makers uh, because we have been talking a lot about Europe and, uh, and the U.S., but obviously Japan and Korea are also uh, huge producers of, of cars, used to be especially popular in China. For internal combustion engine, Chinese consumers really liked Volkswagens and GMs, for example. Uh, and that's changed with electric vehicles. So a lot of these car makers are already losing market share in China. Uh, their electric vehicles are not quite as competitive in some cases, uh, you know, like Volkswagen has not done as well uh, in the EV segment, for example, as compared to uh, the internal combustion engine segment. And and that's going to be an interesting trend to watch because it may be replicated in other markets as well. And that's very dangerous, I think, for some of these legacy producers. And I think we should look forward in some ways. I think Tesla is an interesting case where it is a Western company, but it has really disrupted some of these rules. There are going to be some changes in how the OEMs approach uh, consumers in how software becomes more important and data. So there's legacy car makers are going to have to reinvent themselves to a certain extent. And I think that's going to be a very important. And the Chinese market has changed so much in the recent years that it's probably going to offer some important lessons. As a final question, I would like to ask you, what are your recommendations for decision makers in the US and the EU? We really believe that Europe and North America should not try to slow walk the EV transition because we think ultimately this is where the future of the automotive industry lies. And if you try to delay the transition to shield your industry from Chinese producers, you're only going to put the problems further down the line. And I think the rest of the world is not going to wait until Oxford are ready to face Chinese um, competitors. So I think this is our, our first recommendation that, you know, you should continue to invest in innovation, but also the um, adoption of electric vehicles in these regions. Additionally, we also think that there are some potentially troublesome trends that we are seeing, especially European producers manufacturing, not just for the local market, but also for exports to China. So I think um, here it would be quite important if the governments further investigate, first of all, why producers are, are, are doing this, right? Is this because the Chinese government is offering Tesla or Volkswagen such a good deal that, you know, production there is is cheaper because of the subsidies. Increasingly, and this has happened already to a certain extent, at least in Germany, we should also investigate whether supporting measures like investment guarantees should be continued in face of um, these changing realities on the ground. So, for instance, at the moment, the German government has been highly supportive of, you know, car makers increasing their production footprint in China. But if this means that, you know, this could cut into 
local value added in Germany, we should really ask the question whether this is something that um, the government should be supporting. And then maybe as a, as a third point to mention, then I will hand over to Laria, we also should really investigate our stance towards Chinese greenfield investment, right? At the moment, I think Europe and North America are following quite different trajectories here. Europe has been quite welcoming to Chinese battery investors, right? CATL has a massive investment plan for Hungary. We also see companies like Swalt and Vision ASEC investing in, in Germany or France. And we think that as long as the Chinese investor is meeting, you know, the, the local regulations, labor environmental standards, human rights in their supply chain, and they have not benefited from massive distortions in, in terms of subsidies, this really should be welcomed because it can actually bolster the local EV industry and it can actually also enhance the resilience of uh, local EV supply chains. Yes, and if I can just add to that, Johannes, uh, I think for American policymakers, it's going to be really important to look at Europe and see what is happening there and how some of these policies play out. Because of the U.S. market and the tariffs that are in place here, Europe is a few steps ahead compared to the United States, both when it comes to EV penetration in the market, but also in terms of um, attracting Chinese investment. So I think there could be some really important lessons for American policymakers uh, when you know they look across the Atlantic. Thank you, Gregor and Ilaria, for your time, your insights, and for this inspiring conversation. Thank you so much, Johannes. Thank you, Johannes. If you want to know more about the study that Gregor and Ilaria wrote, you can find a link to their study in our show notes, as well as links to their respective researcher profiles. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merix.org.